welcome to the Awaken Sober Podcast. It's a podcast about life and recovery through Christ. Welcome everybody. I'm glad you're here to join us for another episode. If you're new to here, welcome. If you've been here before, welcome back. So today, now we've been doing this podcast for about, I don't know, what, three or four months now? 20 episodes, something like 20 that. 20 episodes, yeah. yeah. So it's, I think it's time that we we let the viewer get to know who we are as individuals. Yeah, I like that. Right. So Get this a week, story. Yes. So this week, we're going to be interviewing our friend Jeremy. Woohoo! In yeah! The, in the words of Ricky Bobby, if you ain't first, you're last. Oh. Yeah, see? Ah, you like that? Wow. Yeah. All right. You always have to have a test dummy. Just remember. <laughs> There you go. I appreciate that. Anytime, anytime. And also today, we have a new face on the on the um, camera. Yeah, they took me off the soundboard and let me have a camera for a hot minute. I guess they're just being nice, or I haven't figured this one out yet. I'm kind of scared. Uh, Hopefully, people are observant and realize that there are three bearded people here now, and there's only one outcast. Yeah, there's only one outcast. Oh, there it is. I have been the outcast for the last 20 episodes, too, <laughs> because you got to remember the guy before had a little bit of that long goatee. Yeah, I did not have true. That's true. And on the hot mic, we have... Oh, man. You know what? It's fun sitting over here. No mic, nothing. I just get a... Oh, you got the mic. You, you don't have mic. no camera. But well, I mean, no camera. no camera. Yeah, it's it's pretty nice. I like it with no camera. And so I want to give a shout out to Shane because Shane's kind of taken over this whole editing thing and, and everything else. So having him actually work the board and, and know it, he can only get mad at himself. Yes. Yeah, like this. <laughs> Since I didn't switch a camera angle, you know, early enough. That's going to take a little bit for my brain to get used to. Right. It's multitasking. How was everybody's week? You know, honestly, brother, I'm going to pass this week. Okay. I mean, it's been it's been an interesting path that I'm on right now, and I just right for this week, I'm going to have to just keep it to self. Okay. All right. All so. right. That's a good answer. I, and here's the thing. As soon as the solution comes, you oh, can share it. Oh, yeah. Trust me. When the solution comes, there would be a testimony. I'd do a whole episode just on that testimony alone. <laughs> so, I love it. I've had a roller coaster this weekend. I can say it's or this week. It's been a kind of an up and a down. And uh, I'm going through some personal stuff. And uh, we had, had a meeting with my um, currently wife. And we uh, ended up turning what was supposed to be a two-hour session into uh an all-day affair an all-day affair an all-day affair and i will say i mean uh a lot of things i've learned through um recovery and See what he did uh, <laughs> i had an affair with my wife uh, all day <laughs> I, I learned a lot um and i've taken a lot of the tools I've learned and were able to really use them in the conversations we had. And I was very proud of myself of how I came out at the end of the day of, I never got angry. I never raised my voice. I listened. I validated. Um, I did what I was supposed to do in a conversation and it worked. It's funny how that happens, huh? And then I spent the last two days, uh, driving ice around the festival of little hills. So, um, I'm glad we got to record today because it's what going to be a hundred today. Yeah, it's pretty warm out there. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's a warm one. It's warm without a doubt. All right, so we're going to get this interview going. Well, Shane, how how was your week, buddy? Oh, well, yeah. just because he's not on camera doesn't mean he doesn't. Oh, now who do I pick to to focus on? Dum 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 dum. I think he's having too much fun with that camera <laughs> switching. Here's the thing. It was um, a pretty jacked up week for me until this morning. I walked into uh, 
I walked into church late on purpose, right? I just, I've been disconnected. I didn't even want to hear worship music. I just, I wanted to just go and listen to the message and get out. Check a box, right? And so I thought I came in late enough to miss it. I don't like this mic. I'm not used to where I got to talk into it. Um, mm -hmm. But I walk in late what I thought I missed the music portion and they were singing Good, Good Father and then out of that into another song. And this, and it was, God just was able to wreck me in that moment like I needed to be wrecked. And I, I bawled like a little baby in the back of the room and just sat there and just praised them um, and then got to go to my seat and just wrote. I think the whole message, all I did was I, I journaled yeah. the entire time. I listened to the message. I know exactly what he said, but I just journaled. And so I got to say, the close of the week, phenomenal. I love it. Awesome. Awesome. I think we're going to interview Jeremy, but how was your week? <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. Hold on a second. The conversation we had early. Did you have a week this week, Jeremy? Did I have a week this week? Yeah. Did you have a week this week? Yes, I had a week. This okay. Week. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It was good. Um, just a, a few hiccups along the way. Um, another hiccup today, but I guess the week hasn't technically. Does the, the week start on Sunday or does it end on Sunday? Hmm. starts on sunday okay well it's a new week it's a new week for you way to start it out there way bud. To start it <laughs> off yeah no but uh i did i i got to spend the weekend out at my cabin and i i haven't um you know been there in quite some time and uh got to get stuff ready for deer season got to see an old friend from kansas city he came in and uh we hung out last night and talked till way early in the morning so it was really good yeah. so i needed that for my soul for sure uh. So before we get this interview started, I just want to give a shout out. Like you said, Shane, whatever it is you're going through, brother, we're here with you. And I know you viewers out there, put him on your prayer list. And so everything be good from there. Amen. I, I think uh, God had fun with me today. Uh, yeah, he may have. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's having fun with a few of us at the moment. If you really think about it, we're all doing it. Yeah. He does have a good sense of humor. Here's what's cool. When we're uncomfortable, we're growing, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And I was in this complacency and and just yeah it, it was nice something has to break and it was me today so I'm happy. this is the moments where that t-shirt from that company that i love so much that says embrace the suck <laughs> oh, i have that one i know you do i didn't wear it today but yeah i have it so let's get this interview up and going jeremy Remember what I said, no open-ended questions. Oh, it's about to get started. <laughs> so can you tell us about your journey into recovery? Where do I start? Well, well give us a, here, why don't you give us a quick 15-minute testimony of Jeremy? Oh, hold on. Yeah. Don't, don't go, too <laughs> don't go there yet. <laughs> Where were you born? Where were you raised? What was your childhood like? Um, brother, sister, give us some backstory, some information, so that way the listeners can get to know Jeremy. Yeah, so I was... <clears throat> born and raised here in, excuse me sorry about that uh born and raised here in st charles um st charles county um i'm the only child um which you can tell sometimes <laughs> for sure um no <laughs> pretty good child I, I had a good childhood i my parents um never made a lot of money um my dad was an alcoholic uh, i've talked about that before um my grandfather was an alcoholic, um, but I, I never, I never had to want for anything. I always had, uh, you know, food in my belly, clothes on my back, and, and shelter. Um, 
and my parents, we, you know, we went to church every Sunday. They were always involved in church and, uh, I was involved with it as well. Um, you know, sports, um, parochial school my whole life. Uh, I was raised Lutheran. So Lutheran grade school, Lutheran high school, Lutheran college, um, and in high school is where I actually met my now wife. Uh, we were best friends um, throughout high school. Uh, never dated, but uh, God has a funny way of bringing people back into our lives. And so uh, um, that's pretty much my, I mean, I would say my childhood was good. You know? So what religion did you say you were? Lutheran. <laughs> no religion. <laughs> religion. <laughs> yeah. It's not a religion. Yeah. yeah. I like to call Lutherans Catholic light. Catholic light. That's yeah. I mean, we just don't do this the kneeling and all that other junk. Oh, the clicker, the no workouts, <laughs> yeah. those Sunday workouts, yes, and squat. Yeah, but uh, but no, it was good. So, were you like? Did you always have like a, a spiritual upbringing? Yeah, like I said, I, like, being raised Lutheran, uh, we went to uh, the the church that uh, I was baptized in as an infant. Um, my grandparents uh, went there, so my parents went there, and then they started uh, a new church. They planted a new church when I was probably about, I don't know, fifth, sixth grade, I want to say. Maybe it was before then. But they started planting this new church, and uh, it was called Messiah, and we were one of the first, I don't know, eight or nine families to start that church. And so watching that go from nothing to what it is today is, is pretty awesome. But... uh I didn't, the reason we switched churches was because of me and I, I had friends that were going there. One of my best friends was going there. And so I said, you know, why don't we try this out? And so we did. And we actually used to worship in the Knights of Columbus hall, which is now Menino's in Cottaville. That used to be the Knights of Columbus hall. And then we switched from there to Francis Hall middle school. And then our property that where the church sits now is right next to that. But, and I mean, a few times, I think when we went, it was in the, the basement of a, there was an old house there next to the Quick Trip on ninety four, and that's where we would go to actually worship. So nice. So have you ever disappointed any of your childhood dreams, like with sports or you know friendships, anything like that? Was I what? Have you ever disappointed your childhood dreams? That's the question. What? So, so another, did you not? You have dreams as a kid. Well, yeah. That you disappointed. That you didn't follow fulfill? through with. Oh. I mean, I didn't become an NFL football player. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you didn't? <laughs> no. Oh. I thought I'd seen him Sunday. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, I wish you would have gave me these questions in advance. But, I mean, hey, we should have been on that. Dock. <laughs> I was going to say, we just got them three minutes ago. <laughs> You, know, I, you want us to ask questions, you or we can just feel more comfortable just kind of giving a little test? No, no, no. I'm take, no, I'm digging it. I'm digging it. We can just take it's, off where you know, what me you think. Know we I love it. I love it. No, um, yeah, I mean, I had childhood dreams. I think uh, I was really involved. I was involved in baseball. I was involved in 4-H. Um, I, you know, I liked it. My dad always took me out fishing and hunting. Like That's kind of my thing now that I'm passing on to my stepson is um, – you know, the love of the outdoors and being outside and, and conservation. So I, I always did that. And what happened? There we go. Mm -hmm. um, I was never I was never a good student, per se. Um, I wasn't a popular kid, but I also wasn't the nerd. I could hang out with everybody. 
And so in school, um, I was well liked, but I was an extroverted introvert, if that makes any sense. Okay. So, uh, like I said, I could hang out with anybody. Um, football was my passion. Um, it was almost like uh, I mean, I got a college college scholarship to play. Um, so that was it. You know, I, I hate to say captain of the football team. You know, kind of deal. Uh, and. I loved my upbringing there, and then when I went off to school in Nebraska, that's kind of where everything began to change for me, and that's Mm -hmm. where I discovered alcohol for the first time. Uh Oh, tell us about that first time, (laughs) the first drink experience that you had. What was it like? So I said, I told myself I wasn't going to drink until after the football season. And, and I, being a freshman, I didn't know anybody, and, and so it was kind of like it was easy. And so I made my friends, and then none of us actually, the core group, didn't drink until after the football season. They had all drank before through high school, and they were from both from small towns in Nebraska. So that's kind of, I guess, what you do, right? Nothing else to do. So uh, I remember going to the first kegger at this trailer out in the middle of nowhere in Nebraska. I discovered... Uh, what, uh, what it was like a it was like a ball of beer and i can't remember what they were called i it was like the this, party ball I, I it was a party that. ball yeah a party that. ball yeah the course it came out with the party ball huh the course came out with the party yeah ball. yeah i discovered that and i was like this is amazing you know um and so i i remember that first night and then it kind of just took off from there and uh you know i for the next Several months, you know, it was every weekend we would go out and party and have a good time. I didn't really drink during the week until after sophomore year. I still, I still stuck with the whole I'm training. I'm not going to drink uh, during football season, so I stuck with that. Um, and then uh, in my sophomore year is when I, I, I was, I got sick, and I got a really bad concussion during football season. And so I went back, and then after that, I got. Um, meningitis and so i was missing classes i was excused from classes and i was like oh well there's something i can do and i i drank a lot during that time um and that's also um that sophomore year is when i had a a professor of mine uh, pull me aside and ask me because i was going to school for pre-seminary and he asked me he's like what else do you want to do with your life and i was like i want to be a pastor he's like no you don't (laughs) <laughs> I, was like, I was like yeah i do you know and he's like I, I think god has a different plan for you and i think you need to seek out his plan and then i was like man you know what? i think i want to be a police officer and so he's like why don't you get some information on that so i did and i came back here and one thing led to another and uh probably i don't know three four months after i got back uh, i was enrolled in the police academy and that was it you're a cop? No. Oh. <laughs> I was. Oh, you was? Yes. Yes. 15 years. 15 years. All right. So, Sounds like a Kanye song. 15 years ago. Wow. <laughs> Kanye? 15 years. I, 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 I could hear that, that song, that little jam of his. <clears throat> uh, Go ahead. What, what happened in your life when you crossed the line? When the drink took over. I know what you meant. 
like I crossed the line a lot of places. Where do you want me to start? <laughs> Somewhere One towards step. the beginning and work your way to where we're at today. Yeah. <laughs> One step over the line. Yeah, I um, I don't think uh, I don't I wouldn't have identified myself as an alcoholic until probably 23, 24 years old. Um, I was married at the time. Um, I could be able, I was able at one point to have like a six pack of beer in my fridge and leave it there for a period of time. And then one day the, the flip switched and it was one of those things where I needed it all the time. Uh, and then that started the next, I would say 16 years of my drinking career. Um, and I feel like I'm saying a, a lot. So Did you go all pro? I went all pro. Okay. Yeah. I, I made it to the World Series. I was the MVP uh, of the World Series, I would say, of drinking. And okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say all pro. He just said he didn't play football <laughs> for the NFL. But, yeah. But he was talking about his career. So. Yeah, yeah. My drinking career. Okay. So there's always that traumatic experience event whatever but so what kind of was like the last year months uh leading up to you get becoming sober what's yeah so i i struggled with uh sobriety since 2017 uh amy and i we had we'd gotten engaged and i finally admitted for the first time ever that i had a drinking problem and her not knowing anything about the disease of alcoholism, me not really knowing anything besides what I've heard and seen in movies, which was AA. And I was like, we'll be able to do this. You know, I'll be able to handle this. Not the case. Uh, we had to uh, postpone our uh, wedding because of my drinking. And so that wasn't a, a good way to start. Uh, she didn't leave me then, which is kind of crazy. I uh, ended up in treatment several months later. I was there for 18 days, and then after that 18 days, I was able to maintain uh, about nine months of, of good sobriety, I would say. I would say probably six months of it were good, and then the three months leading up to the relapse were not so good. Prelapse? Yeah. And I had it in my mind. I'm like, you know, I can probably do this normally. I can be one of those normal drinkers and i i couldn't uh i was shortly back on the wagon i was doing intensive outpatient and i was able to do another six months and then it was another nine months and then you know it was almost like monthly i was messing up up until about uh up until october of 21 um a couple weeks ago we talked about detaching with love did your wife detach with love did that play a role in you getting sober yeah, it, it was, you know, I, I say, I've joked around before that my wife's got a black belt in Al-Anon, and I, I, I do, I do believe that. I do believe that, first and foremost, God, but God and accountability and res like uh, a program has saved our marriage. And if she didn't set the boundaries that she needed to set, I don't, first and foremost, I don't think I would be here right now. And I know we wouldn't be together. I, I know I'd pushed her to the point where she couldn't deal with it, deal with it anymore. So, but yeah, so one of the uh, boundaries she put on me is every time I drank, 
I would have to go stay at my parents' house. So being in your late 30s, she's driving me over to my parents' house, and then I have to face my parents and say, oh, I drank again. And this was pre-my dad getting sober, pre-my mom getting her black belt now and on. And so it was always one of those things where it's like, I can't believe you're messing up your life like this. You have a good wife. You have two beautiful stepchildren. You've got a beautiful house. You've got everything going for you, and you keep messing it up. And I was like, it's not... I'm trying. And I knew all the right things to say. I'd been in AA for, you know, quite some time. So I knew, you know, all the cliches that I like to say all the time, uh, the little phrases. And my mom, I remember her telling me this one night. She goes, you know, all the right things to say. She's like, you're really good at giving advice, but you're really bad at taking your own. Mm. I think a lot of us mm. have deal with those issues sometimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so that was that was that was embarrassing for me. And then towards the end there, like she just didn't want me around. And so I would spend a lot of time at that at my cabin, which is kind of funny, you know, because I just went there uh, this past uh, this past weekend, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. And now it's like kind of my place again, where I could go there and be at peace, because at, at, for a long time there, there was nothing happy about that place for me. So like your fortress of solitude? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Everybody needs one of those. Yes. I mean, I've solitude, not isolation. <laughs> That's right. Difference. I mean, yes. I've heard your story before. Are you comfortable sharing how you actually, the straw that broke the camel's back to yeah. make things happen? Yeah. And so uh, the month of basically starting in June of 21 and leading up to October, I I had a really good job with um, uh, a, a global company. And I'd been able to climb the ranks in two years, which was almost unheard of. And so I had applied for a management job and I got it. And then did, literally the day I got it, I quit. And I had been drinking for hiding it for about three, four weeks at that point. So I come home and I tell Amy, hey, I quit my job today. And she's like, what? And I was like, I quit my job and I'm going to go work at a restaurant. I want to start a barbecue restaurant. I have never worked a day in a restaurant. <laughs> Not a single day in my entire life have I worked in a restaurant, but I wanted to own my own barbecue restaurant. So I got a job at this place and I made it all of maybe five or six shifts before they fired me. That's saying a lot, getting fired from a restaurant. Yeah. In five or six shifts. It's not like you even worked. No. <laughs> You're still training. I, yeah, it was bad. So uh, I, I I got rid of that, and then it just it, – that's when it all just kind of went downhill. Uh, I got a job. A friend of uh, – one of my spiritual mentors gave me a job. Um, it was basically to check a box. And I continued to drink – excuse me. Uh, through all that, and then finally it got to the point where Amy said, you can't be here anymore. I don't want you around the, the kids. I don't want you around me. You're not good for me. You're not good for, for anybody right now. So I went out to the cabin, and after about a week of trying to sober myself up, I decided to, I, I begged her to come home. And I wasn't sober at all. I was drinking, obviously, the entire time. 
So we tried to make that work for a second, and then finally she said, absolutely not, no. And so for several days, I contemplating ending my life, and I... I hate to say this, and I don't want this to be a trigger warning, but I got to the point where I could, I would dry fire that pistol just so I wouldn't have to think about it, you know? And, and, and I wrote a letter and I called my, my friend, um, who lived across the state. And I said, Hey, I, I can't do this anymore. And so it was a beautiful, beautiful day. And I went out there on my dock and I said, this is it. And I hear a car coming down the road. And I'm like, nobody knows I'm out here besides Amy. Like, why is there a car coming down the road? And it was my mom. And I remember running inside the house. And we got into this huge fight. And had she been 30 seconds later, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. So... I, I, I drove home and I've shared this before I drove home. It was, it was, I should not have been driving. And on the way home, I, I got a hold of the aviary and I said, I need, I need help. I, I don't know what to do. I need help. So I got home. Amy was mad cause I was home. And so that was a big deal. I said, I just need you to take me to treatment. I just, that, that's all I need you to do. How are we going to afford that? I said, I don't know. I said, I, I think it'll be free. I think insurance will take care of it. You know? Well, that wasn't the case, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> On the way there, they, they finally called me. They're like, well, can you be here by 530? I said, yeah, I can be there by 530. So I told Amy, I was like, I'm going to pack a bag. Well, the treatment I went to before, you couldn't have belts. You couldn't have shoelaces. You can't anything. So I didn't take anything. That wasn't treatment. That was prison. That was prison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you couldn't have anything. So I was like, oh, okay, well, I didn't pack any of that stuff. Like, not a razor, not n- nothing. And, of course, I was plastered when I was doing this and so all the way up there because she had to go to work that night all the way up there we really didn't talk much and then she called to get payment over the phone and it was a significant amount of money and Amy's like I thought you said it was nothing blah 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 blah. and I was like oh it's for my life though it doesn't matter you know we can't put a price on my life and my sobriety (laughs) (laughs) but she thought different she did she did (laughs) I think Amy could yeah (laughs) So we, was, we come pulling up to the to the aviary, and, and she's like, oh, you picked the Taj Mahal, didn't you? Mm-mm, you know? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And, and I always joke that I don't think she ever put the car in park. And and I remember walking in, and she, like, I dropped my bag, and she asked uh, who was doing our, my admission. She goes, do I need to be here for this? And I was like, she's like, no. And she's like, all right, gone. And I was thinking to myself, you know, my marriage is probably over. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do for work. And I can't get this drinking thing under control. And just several hours prior, I wanted to end my life. And I knew I wanted to live, but I didn't know how to live. And so here's this guy, you know, I that believes in God, has quote unquote, giving himself to God, but I wasn't living like that at all. And alcohol had become my master, my God. And I remember calling Amy because we were on a blackout period. I remember calling her 10 days into it and she goes, I told you I didn't want to talk to you. Don't call me. Click. 
And I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to put myself on another blackout. <laughs> so I tried it again three days later. She goes, I told you I don't, I don't want to talk to you. There's nothing you're going to tell me. And I was like, I just need clothes. Like, I just need you to send me some things so I could stay here. And I said, I'm going to talk to you about going to extended uh, transitional living. And she's like, well, we don't have the money for that, blah, 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 blah. So I had to beg um, the you know, the accounting, the accountant there, I was like, can you just get me into this place for free? And I'll, I'll, I'm good for the money, you know, just get me in. Cause I knew I needed it. And in that time frame, I would say probably two weeks in, I realized that everything that happened on October 21st and me wanting to end my life, everything that transpired, like my mom showing up and then me getting back safely, how I don't know, uh, you know, and not hurting anybody else and, and getting to treatment that day, that was all God. It was all God because I wasn't supposed to be there and they weren't, you know, they just surprised. It was my dad's birthday, but I just, when I looked back on it, I'm like, there's no reason I should be here and there's gotta be something else in control and it's gotta be God. And so over the next 98 days of treatment, I, I committed to, I committed to the Lord and I said, I, I, I need to leave here completely different than I came in. I don't know what's going to, what it's going to look like at home. I don't know what I'm going to do for a job. I don't know anything, but I was willing to just trust in the process. And I, what was that word? Oh yeah. <laughs> Again. Yes. Do we have a definition of process? Oh my gosh. No, no, no. This is, this is my interview. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all about you today, right? <laughs> Ooh, I thought it was God's interview. <laughs> oh, God's story of Jeremy's life, and Jeremy wants to take control of it. Shocking. Mm, how'd that work yeah. for you? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. You know. um, but I had to trust the process, and I, I, had, I had a lot of good uh, mentors, uh, teachers, peers along the way. Uh, and I, I, to this day, I, I can't, it's all good, brother. I'll never, I'll never be able to repay them. And, uh, not supposed to cry on podcast. Um, Says who? That's exactly what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> it's about you, brother. Cry. Yeah. Um, no, it's about God. It is about God. Yeah, <laughs> I, and that's and that's when I think I get emotional is because I I just I the the things that have happened to me in in recovery I I am that person that you know the promises do come true. Um, I remember I wanted to work in recovery. And I came home uh, two times in the 98 days, and that was uh, Thanksgiving, thank you, Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas. And they were less than 36 hours each time. So I'd come home, and it would be like, Amy didn't know how to act. I didn't know how to act. The kids were awkward. The family was awkward. Like, what do we do? So it was just weird, and I just I, I couldn't wait to go back into that, that safe place for me. But um, I was... I came home and then we saw that same spiritual mentor that uh, gave me a job, uh, the quote unquote job uh, in sales. And he said to me, he goes, uh, 
you need to do, you need to find a job in recovery. And he goes, I don't give a crap if it's mopping the floors. He goes, recovery looks good on you. So I knew I wanted to do that, but I just didn't know how to get there. And so they have these things called coaches, you know, recovery coaches. So I wanted a job there. And at the time, the the clinical director uh, needed a year of sobriety. And so I was like, I just want a chance at this. And somebody in my corner who happened to be um, um, Christina, uh, Shane's wife, uh, arranged a a meeting with uh, the clinical director. So he comes into the office, my now office, actually. He comes in the office and he says, before we start this conversation, I just want you to know I have absolutely zero intention of hiring you. And so I'm like, great. And it was something like three hours later. He goes, I'm going to give you a shot. And so I got a job not only as a, um, a coach, but I was actually the manager of the house that I was just in. Like I transitioned direct, directly into that. Like, here you go. Now you're going to be the manager of the house. I'm like, awesome. Like, this is great. Two months later, he goes, I think you need to get this certification and I want to make you a counselor. And I was like awesome and i that's that was my end goal because uh, once i got into it and helping people i was like i do want to be a counselor in this you know what how do i do that and he's like i'll just walk you through all the steps so i mean three months into this thing now i'm i'm a counselor and i'm like this is just like it's going way too fast and i mean ever since then now i'm the 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 counselor therapist at the uh brick house which is the transitional living that i started at and it's just awesome to be a part of these guys' journey, you know. And I've told Shane before, I've I've wanted to go back to inpatient because uh, I feed off the chaos, like I I feel comfortable in chaos, and it's probably you know the the former police officer in me and everything. I just I just like I feel at peace. It's weird. Well, everybody else is freaking out, and uh, so I miss that. And then he asked me the question, you know, where does God want you to be right now? Where do you want you know what what do you see in your future? And so I was like, man, the stress of, of, of working there and, and I guess, let me back up. So the marriage that I thought was going to end for sure, she now works at the aviary Hmm. and she's the director of nursing and a medical provider there. So this this relationship that seemed doomed that she didn't want to talk to me she you know you picked the Taj Mahal didn't you I mean I'll never forget that in my it, you know in my mind uh it, you know we get to we get to work there we get to work recovery together you know and we get to do it in that setting but then we also get to work recovery in our home we get to we get to teach our kids we get to teach others like hey how do you overcome all these 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 struggles these these, you know, barriers that get put in front of you. And it's like, no, the path is the barriers. We have to, we just have to work around them, you know? And so how does that work? But, but yeah, so it's, it's been, uh, it's been an unbelievable journey. Uh, I know Mike's been on here before Mike, uh, you know, he's become a very, uh, you know, one of my best friends, uh, and a huge accountability partner for sure. So right on. Did that answer your question, Steve? I mean, it kind of vague. No. <laughs> <laughs> it 
It only took 30 minutes to get that answer, but we got it. <laughs> so do you live in a red house? <laughs> no, no, I don't. No, I don't. You know, so, uh, you know, to me, drink equals death. It's life or, or drink for me. And so if I go back to the bottle again, I know where I'm going to end up. I am either going to be at the end of a, you know, the bottom of a bottle killing myself or the end of a barrel killing myself. Uh, neither one of those things I want to do now. Uh, it's been a journey. So, you know, my thing is I, I, I had done a fourth and fifth step before with it with sponsors and I was never thorough on those fourth or fifth steps. And when I got to treatment there, um, I, I had a sponsor that, that kept me through treatment. Um, shout out to big Jim. And, uh, he kept me through treatment, even though I had, I had lied to him so many times. And if someone lies to a sponsor. I know, I know, I know it's crazy. He, um, so he kept me through and I was working through the steps and starting over again. And, uh, Christina gave me an, uh, an impact statement and it makes you look at this time in your life where something happened that changed your outlook towards people, towards power, uh, towards respect for others. And, and, and so you look at it, it's, I, it's a four step on steroids. And I think we could probably throw one of those up on the, on the uh, show notes. So people could see it. So I, I went through that over a traumatic event that happened in my childhood that I never dealt with. Now, every time I drink, I drank, I didn't think about that traumatic event that happened to me. But that traumatic event changed my entire outlook for the rest of my life. And so I had to go back there. And so we worked backwards to that point, And then I would start to be able to rebuild from there. And it's still, you know, forgiving. I've I found forgiving. I need to forgive. We all need to forgive. You know, as a child of God, God says, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. Yep. So I, I need to forgive others like I want to be forgiven. I forgive, but I don't forget. And that doesn't mean I want those people involved in my life anymore. It just means, look, I either I wronged you or you. I felt you wronged me. I forgive you, forgive me, and let's move on. And and if if they hold on to that, that's on them. But I get free from it, you know, by doing that. So, so I, I kind of know the answer to this question because I know we share this one, but what is the one verse that brings you through everything in recovery? First uh, Corinthians 10, 13, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Right on. So you, uh, you brought up Christina a couple of times, and I think this might be a quick moment to give a little shout out to what program she run? Oh, Reclaiming Hope. Reclaiming Hope, Hope Counseling yes. Services. So we give a little shout out to Reclaiming Hope. We haven't done that in a while, but yeah. Reclaiming Hope, they've been there for a lot of us, and you know we've used it. And I know I don't know about you, but I know I definitely share it with my with my clients at work, saying, "Hey, give them a call. You got nothing to lose." You know, I didn't, here I am going to get emotional. Like you, I, I look back at this, and it's like, man, like. Having Christina as my therapist and then in getting introduced to her husband and I'm like, I'm never going to get along with this. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'll be, I'll be say damn <laughs> if, if he didn't become like my, not only just a really like 
very close best friend, but a mentor and somebody I look up to and somebody I could confide in and, and co-star on your podcast. <laughs> yeah. And that's just it. Like, and I, I'm doing this podcast now in my basement, like just less than two years ago, I didn't want to be here. Like my life was literally in shambles. Like it was a complete absolute wreck. And I say this all the time too, but what happened to me is, is my, you know, I, I worked in the AA program and I always say those people loved me when I couldn't love myself. They knew I was going out and, and struggling. They knew it. And they were always there for me. They never, you know, never talked bad about me. Just, Hey, you know, if you need anything, let me know. And they were always there. I just didn't lean out and do the, the process like I needed to. But yeah, I mean, I, I look at this, I look at this basement that we're in now. I look at, uh, you know, the friends I'm surrounded by and it's like, I would have never, ever had that had I not made that phone call and went to the aviary. Right on. Yeah. It's a good place. It's all right. Yeah. It's all right. Some of the counselors up there rock. I heard that. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> All right. So, you know, let's take a look at where you're at now. You know, in that, like, well, I just kind of did. <laughs> no, 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 no. I got some things here for you. What was it like early in your sobriety? Oh, you know, like I, I shared earlier, early in sobriety. Well, I would say if, if we go back to the first time I, I got sober, it was that awkward feeling with family. Um, nobody, nobody in my family. Uh, immediate family nobody in amy's immediate family has ever been to rehab before so you know i i'm, I'm sure uh, my father-in-law was thinking why why did you marry this guy why do you want to marry this guy um and and i know that amy's given them a book you know the Al-Anon book um <laughs> before too she loves to hand that thing out um she's she's given him that before um so the the whole I, I think building, losing the trust of everybody in early, it, it, you know, because in my addiction, nobody trusts me. I want people to trust me, yet I don't give them reasons to trust me. I want to be respected, yet I don't give people respect, and therefore they don't respect me. Um, but, yeah, in, in early recovery, it, see, I, I always, the, the easiest part is getting sober. That is the easiest part. Yes, it sucks. You're going to get sick. You're going to feel like you want to die. But that's the easy part. I was so, I my shakes were so bad that I had to have the nurses put the medication in my mouth. I couldn't carry a tray of food. I had to carry, like, I could only fill up my coffee halfway and carry it. <laughs> you know? Like, that. Like it's stuff like that. And I had to get put everything in a bowl, you know? and And now I don't do that. So all those people, like I said, all those people were there for me when I didn't, when I, I did, I didn't deserve it, but they did it because that's what they, that's what God has called them to do. Like, that's how they, they give back. And so, but working through the, the getting rid of the alcohol was one thing. And to me, like I said, that was the easy part, but going and having to look inward at myself, that's where it gets tough. But it, I knew because everybody kept telling me, if I don't want to do this again, if I want to give myself the best opportunity at this, then I have to do it this way. I was willing to take any suggestion. So when people come to me now and say, well, I, you know, I, I don't think I should do that. Okay, good luck. Because I know how I know what the outcome's going to be. Right. You're not unique. 
<laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're not unique. It's like we all we all struggle with the same things, and it's like we this is the root cause of the problem. What's the root cause of the problem? Well, let's get down to that and let's work through it. You know, no. hey, hey Jeremy, you 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 talked about how when you got into recover or into uh, treatment that uh, your wife didn't want to talk to you. How did that change? Well, how did that heal? I think we need to interview her. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, yeah, that'll be a four-hour podcast. Love, love you, babe. No, she knows. I mean, she she talks a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's right over Maybe there. That's, that's on him, not us. <laughs> right. I also said she's the best fish I've caught. So. That is true. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, you know, it, it took. I, I think we went through to. <laughs> eight, nine hours of, of counseling that first week we got out. I got out of a treatment. I got out on a Tuesday. I was doing individual counseling. We were doing couples counseling. It was like a whole bunch of stuff all that week. And so it's been a journey. I I have never asked her to forgive me. I, I think my, the way I show her is through my actions. And I back him like if I tell her I'm going to do something, then I do it now. And earning that trust back, I mean, two years into this, I know there's things where it could still trip or trigger, and she thinks, "What? What do you? What do you mean? What do you? What are you doing?" You know. Um, but we have some pretty strict boundaries, and I can't argue with her boundaries. Those are her boundaries, and then she doesn't argue with my boundaries. So we had to learn how to. I guess I, I, I finally had to learn how to be a husband. And doing it sober wasn't the same as being drunk. So you mean actually taking responsibility? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but no, it was it, it's good. And like I said, now I mean, I, I would have never imagined in five years that we would be where we are now. Just wouldn't imagine it. Congratulations, guys! Thanks. Thanks. I actually enjoy working with your wife. She she got an attitude. I've seen her put some boys in check. Yes, don't, 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 she can be a <laughs> mean one. I'm telling I'm you. Hey. <laughs> but, uh, so, so Jeremy, hold on. What's been your biggest challenge so far through your recovery? You're two years in. Mm. What's that biggest challenge? Mm. Doing a podcast with us. No. <laughs> no, that's been one of his biggest blessings. Think you get to see us each one. Uh, yeah, my my biggest challenge is I, I think they would go hand in hand and that would be pride slash control. I'm going to put those on the same, the same level. Um, no, 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 not even close. <laughs> <laughs> pride, control. All right. I would They're say separate. I, I would say, I would say control and acceptance. Mm. Those are my two hardest ones. And I, I say acceptance is it, I, I accept I accept my position as being like myself as, as me. I have a difficult time accepting others, not others decisions. Okay. Now what I mean by that is, is their decisions in recovery. And it's like when I know somebody is, is if you knew somebody was driving towards a cliff, you would want to stop them. And so I do everything that I possibly can to prevent them from driving off that cliff. And so in, in early recovery, like going back to this, so in early recovery, I had a hundred days into my recovery, I was 
a house manager at a sober living. Five months into my recovery, I'm a counselor. So what do I know about? What do I know about it? I just had the, you know, a gift of gab. I could empathize with people. I could sympathize with people. I, I was, I'd worked through my trauma. I knew how to walk people through that. But so that was, that was difficult. And, and I lost, uh, you know, I've shared this before. I lost three clients back to back to back and, and, and two of them to suicide. And I had a really, really hard time with that. Really hard time accepting that. Knowing that they had every single tool at their disposal. And yet they didn't, they didn't take them up and use them. It's great to have the tools. Like I, I got my tool in my toolbox. It doesn't work if you don't use it. Like you have to pick it, take it out and use your tools. I see Shane over there with an odd look. I mean, I I don't know if his hands have ever touched a tool. Yeah, I don't own any tools. (laughs) I think I have one screwdriver in the house. And a little bitty hammer. You got a pressure washer in your garage. Yeah, but I mean, that's yours. <laughs> Not even mine. <laughs> yeah. So you say you've worked, you worked a program, you're a 12-step individual, right? Yes. So obviously you have a higher power. Correct. All right. So who's your higher power? Yeah, I do have, it then I do have a title now? of pastor, too. So. Well, I'll be darned. <laughs> that wasn't my question, though. <laughs> My question is your relationship with your higher power, where it started then, where it's at now in your recovery. I owe everything to God. Absolutely everything. And sometimes I question him on the way things happen. Going back to the acceptance thing. Um, I... I I would say what I what I lacked my entire life. I knew God, right? I could I could read you the Bible. I knew where to find it here. I I could say like my mom said, I could give people the greatest advice, but I had the most difficult time accepting it. You know, doing it myself. So I could tell you everything, but I did not follow it up with my actions. And so today, what I what I strive to do each and every day is to live the way Christ wants me to live. How can I be a catalyst for him today? Yeah. Cool. Is that it? Is that all you got? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so can you talk? So let's talk about our parts in, in our recovery, like your, your relationship with your sponsor. Oh, my sponsor's awesome. He's awesome? Yeah. Um, my sponsor has 37 years of, of sobriety. Uh, he's very, uh, very open about his walk with Christ, you know? Um I, I have him, and he, I, I, I can't, I can't explain him. Like he's one of those guys that, when he comes into an AA meeting, you know he's got significant amount of time. He's a wise man, but he doesn't have to talk. People just know, and it's like one of those guys he can sit there and listen. And when there's something that needs to be said, he'll say it, and he shares it. It's always experience, strength, and hope. It's always like that, and. I, I love it when the guys can come in and not have to hear themselves talk because we know those people and whether it be AA or celebrate recovery that they love to hear themselves talk instead of just taking the cotton out of your ears and shoving it in your mouth and listening. They always feel like they have to say something and he's not like that. And I also, you know, I want to say that I don't just have one sponsor. 
It's like I've got Shane and I've got you and I've got this accountability team. And to me, it's like, okay, if I can't get a hold of one person, I know I can get a hold of somebody else. Like there's always somebody there. So having that accountability and that support to me is the most important thing. Right on. So uh, this is a men's process. Isn't that one of the steps or something? You got to make a men's. I think something about that. Yeah. What about How, how's that been going for you? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. I, you know, you know, the step ten is continue to take personal inventory. When we were wrong, probably admitted it. Um, making it through those the, the first, uh, you know, step four and five. Everybody always gets picked up on four and five, and I don't know why now. I, I for the longest time I did it too, but mm. now that I've been through it, I'm like, why wouldn't you want to do this? Yeah, I mean, we get to see a roadmap of why we yes. became who we became. Yeah, worry about nine. I'm, yeah. I don't worry about four. Four. I really nine. like my four step. I mean, all all what year and a half of it? <laughs> I think four years, buddy. You're being awfully generous with this year and a half. I was going to say. Yeah, see, and that was my thing is I I when I when I said I did not want to leave treatment the same way I walked in. I wanted that done, and we were under COVID protocol at the time, so we weren't allowed to leave campus. And um, Pastor Allen amazing man uh he he lives there on on close to the aviary and helps out a lot um i had him come up so i could do my my fist step with him and so i spent several hours going over my fist step with him and it was great because he's also been in the program or he's also in the program so it was great having that spiritual support as i walked through it um but yeah i now it's like when i go to bed at night I try to go, you know, I, I go through the inventory of my day and say, okay, what could I have done better? You know, do I owe an amends to anybody? Did I wrong somebody? Um, was I not being completely truthful? So now those, those, those angers or those resentments don't weigh me down anymore. So bringing up God and we talk a lot about that, but, the spiritual awakening that you said when you was like, oh, this has to be God. There's no other way. Mm-hmm. There's a little something, you know, more about that feeling. What was it like? And I knew you were going to ask that question. <laughs> no. Uh, no I, yeah, no, I did. And I, what's funny is I was thinking about that on my way here from the cabin today. And I was like, you know, you know, for some it comes sudden. And for others it takes a period of time. Right. And to me, when I look back on it. It's like everything I had to go through, I went through, prepared me for where I'm at today. Had I not been through that, had I not had those feelings of of suicide, had I not have that feeling of loss, you know, and, you know, going back, you know, my my law enforcement career, I I don't talk about it much. I I, I enjoyed it, but it also led me to the bottle. You know, I have had uh, very uh, stage three cancer. I had been divorced. I have, I've, I've been through uh, miscarriages with my wife. And so all of this stuff, right, that I didn't think I had to, I never wanted to experience, that I always used alcohol to cope with, like I realize now I don't, it's not that I need to do, I need alcohol to cope with it. It's like I need to get, go to God. I need to give him praise in everything. Like in every aspect of my life, he deserves all the praise, good, bad, indifferent. Mm-hmm. And um, so that feeling is just that it's like that knowing God is with me all the time. That's I mean, I don't know how else to explain it other than it's like I just know he's there. 
Right. Right on. So, you know, the different things that we teach in group. I mean, for those people out there that don't know, yeah, we work at the same uh, type of work, I guess, same place. We work at the same place. We yes. work at the we same place. The, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, so a lot of the stuff that, are, are you truly following through with a lot of things that you are teaching these individuals about? Are you journaling regularly? Are you doing your prayer and meditation daily? Are you, do you have that devotional that you're sharing with these individuals? Yeah, I do the prayer and meditation devotional. I'm, I, am, I will be the first to admit I do not journal as often as I should. I 100% don't. Um, and, and I can't. I can't pour from an empty cup if I'm not going out and getting what I need from the support of you guys or, you know, my sponsor or meetings, I have nothing to give them. And who am I to sit in this and, and teach a, a group of men, you know, nine men that I have every day and say, this is what you need to do and be a hypocrite about it. Then I'm not being honest with myself. I'm not being honest with them. And it's like, you know, I've thought about before. It's like, you know, if I took a drink and drank, Who's going to know? Well, I don't know. God will know. I don't know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> he knows. So and then it's like, and then I, I think it's like, man, that guilt would, would creep up. And then it'd be like, well, I'm going to drink again. Well, I got away with it once and I could maybe do it twice. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing you know, I'm snowballing and I am back to exactly where I ended up. So. Mm-hmm. What do you do to keep yourself sober for Prevention. Uh, relapse, relapse prevention. prevention. I'm sorry, I'm having a little brain. No, brain. it's all good. Which was the subject of last week's podcast. So please, you know, if you have not seen it yet, go back and take a look. Yeah. <laughs> We're on every podcast platform. Yeah, so I have a home group in AA. Uh, I do that. I reach out to my sponsor regularly. Regularly, uh, I do my morning meditations, my morning readings, my morning, uh, the 24 hours a day, um, the thought, AA thought for the day. I go through all that literally before I get my ass out of bed, my butt out of bed. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> before I get out of bed uh, in the morning. Um, so I'm, I'm doing all that. And then it's just, I know now that if I start to get squirrely or I get that feeling, I know what I need to do. And it's pick up the phone or call somebody. It's go to a meeting. You know, and I know a lot of people will say, well, why do I have to go to meetings the rest of my life? It's like, it sounds like the most cliche thing in recovery. You go to a meeting, but it works. Yeah. It's like I found time to drink every single day, every hour of the day. Almost. I can find a meeting to go to almost every hour of the day around the St. Louis area, over a thousand meetings a week. So and, and people will say, well, I don't understand why these people go to meetings every day. Did you drink every day? Did you use every day? Well, I don't think that's balance. Who are you to say that's not balance for them? Right. Yeah. It's the same. Like you know, why do you work all the holidays? Because I used every holiday once to do. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I, I, I'm with that too. You know. And I, I always worked the holidays because I never had children of my own. And so uh, now that that's changed, but even being in law enforcement for 15 years, it, holidays to me, holidays were just the day you celebrated it. You can celebrate that day. Every day, you know, if you want to celebrate Christmas every day, you can celebrate Christmas. But Christmas, having it on the 25th, yeah, is that nice and cool? But why can't you have it on the 27th, 28th, you know? Yeah, we should be celebrating all year round, right? (laughs) (laughs) You're working retail for 23 years. I understand that. Yeah, yeah. So So what's the biggest surprise in your recovery right now? Like, 
from the point when you started to where you're at now, what has been your biggest surprise? My relationship with my bonus children. My stepkids. I, I call them my stepkids. I don't like stepkids. Um, I don't like it either. My relationship with them. Um, I, I think I've shared with you guys, um, but if I haven't, uh, I, I I take my little man out. To, um, I've taught him how to fish and hunt and everything, and now he is obsessed with fishing. Like it is. I mean, it's it's an obsession for sure. Um, but the other day we went out and boat fishing a couple weeks ago. And we're walking back, and it was a, it was a it was a pretty day, um, but we have to walk, and it's like six miles that we have to walk around these these little swamp areas. And on our way back, he looks at me and he goes, "You know what, Jeremy? I really enjoy spending time with you." And I about lost it. You have to lose it right now. I am. I know. See it in your eyes. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, to me, it's it's. Uh, it's the relationship I get to build with them, um, my wife, my family. Uh, I mean that without those things, what is life anyway? So, mm. all right. Um, how are we doing on time? Thanks for making me cry three times. You're yeah, welcome, man. Really, <laughs> we got a we got a few minutes. Uh, I was gonna say it's my turn next week, so just wait. <laughs> yeah, here's here's the thing: working in recovery and working recovery. Um, sometimes it's a balance that we have to, to really learn, navigate. Mm -hmm. How has that been for you? Oh, it's been a learning process. <laughs> I mean, you know that, <laughs> you know that firsthand with me. Uh, it, it's not taking, um, I, I can't, let me back up. I have to have my own recovery program. I cannot use what I do as a job as my recovery. Everyone I know that has done that, has not done well. And I'm talking relapses or go out and do something else. It doesn't end up well. So I going back is okay, if I see the sign that says you're driving off a cliff, I'm not gonna drive off the cliff. But at, at the beginning I would say going back to balance, I, I, I didn't have that balance. And so I was doing meetings, but I was taking on all this burden of everybody else. I felt like I had to do it. I had to take on your pain, your trauma, your I don't have to do that. So it was just learning how to navigate that. But, yeah, working in treatment is not my treatment. That's not my relapse prevention plan. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing I share with my clients as well. It's like, you know, I go to meetings still. And then, like, you've been sober this long and you still go to meetings. You still call your sponsor every day? Before my car hits that gate, yeah, I have yeah. him on the phone, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that, and people are just like, wow, that's, that's why I'm where I'm at right now because I'm working my program. That's what I encourage you guys to do. And I, I have a, a, there's an individual who's like, why do I have to call somebody else to answer my, or to answer my questions? Why can't I just do it on my own? And I'm like, well, hmm. you've done it on your own and you've been here how many times? <laughs> right. <laughs> Coming back. And it's like when I call, if I call Shane or if I call Jim, um, you know, or, or you, it's not almost that I don't want an answer. I just need to get it out of my chest. And you know what? And maybe I'm not seeing things clearly. And they can help me see things clearly, you know, or if I'm in a mood, you know, like I, I want to do, you know, I, I want to, I have a knee jerk reaction to do something right now and I don't want to do it. And I know what's going to turn out. So I need to pick up the phone and call somebody. 
And who's he going to call? Not Ghostbusters. Tyrone. <laughs> Tyrone. <laughs> Better call Tyrone. Hey, I, but Tyrone will this answer. Is, this, is, uh, this is Jeremy, though. I'd let him use my phone on that one. <laughs> I appreciate that. I wouldn't. <laughs> you better leave me a dollar. <laughs> better leave me some money. Hey, what would you say to the person out there struggling, sitting on the fence about getting help? How can you give them hope? Just do it. I, I mean, I, if you if you want to, to buy Nike, no. <laughs> yeah, don't promote. Don't promote. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, if you're if you're questioning it, that means that's that's something telling you that you need to do something. If you're tired of living the way you're living, and you want to change it, then do something about it. Don't be. I I know the shame, the guilt. Uh, how am I going to pay for this? What's my family going to think? Again, I've, I've already touched on all that. I've experienced all that, and I'm going to tell you right now that it, none of that matters if you're not living. You're not going to have a family if I'm not alive. I'm not going to be a good uh, a coworker, a good friend if I'm not living. And so, what do I have to do to live this life? And to me, there's one common denominator of everyone I know that has long-term sobriety. Say it. Say it. It's, Say a, it. it's a relationship with God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't I, again. I'm sure there are people out there that can do it. I personally don't know them. And I, I say this all the time. If you could figure out an easier, softer way, unlike this book that was written in 1935, right, that makes you look at all this stuff. If you can find an easier, softer way, then I need you to write a daggum book and you need to come back and tell us about it. Right. But there's a reason that it's been around for almost 100 years and it works. And to me, you know, it was based off of, of biblical principles, you know, and, and the 12 steps were. So, yeah, I, I don't think everybody's born with this. This idea of a higher power. Every single person's born with a soul. We know this. So it's like, how do I connect that soul to that higher power? And and to me, it's yeah, it's found in reading the word. And the more you read the word, guess what? It starts to talk to you, you start to understand it, you know? The more you start living out those 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 doing the next right thing. There you go, Shane. I threw my little cliche in there. Uh, <laughs> To me, it's that simple. It's like, okay, if the only thing harder than not doing the right thing is living with knowing I had a choice. So just do the right thing. And so if, if, if you're questioning getting into treatment, I don't care where it's at. Get yourself some help. Um, I mean, people can find it in, in the rooms of AA, NA, Celebrate Recovery. Um, for those that are struggling who really need it, you know, um, hospitals aren't going to help you. No, don't but waste the money and time. Don't waste the money and time. You know, um, 60% of the beds in the United States, as we sit here right now, are filled with people with an alcohol or drug-related illness. So, Well, just drop co-occurring because... Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. So... It's one of those things where go to somebody, go to a place that specializes in this, that can actually help you through this stuff. What's the most important thing that they bring with them? Themselves? Yeah. Nah. No. The um, what's the, what's the word? It's an AA quote, man. Those are like they have the urge to get clean, or the what's. You know what I'm talking about. I don't go to AA all the time. I'm, so I'm proud of you for uh, 
catching on though. The mo- yeah, I mean, it's willingness. There it oh, is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The willingness to get sober. I was like, what, where are you going? What do you mean bringing? Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, so many people come in and they say, I'm willing to do anything. Oh, are you? Yeah. <laughs> Meatloaf. Yeah, let, let's find out real quick exactly what you're not willing to do. Yeah. And it, it, it's it, easy to get to. It's, it's funny you say that because um, people say, well, I'm just here because I want to quit. Well, then why are you here? Uh, go out there and quit. Go mm-hmm. quit away. You know, um, but it's it's pretty simple to me. It's when you ask yourself, how does it work? How am I going to get sober? Honesty, open mindedness, willingness. Those three things. If you're going to be honest. Great. If you're open minded, that your idea isn't probably going to work. Be open to other be open to suggestions and be willing to try those suggestions. Guess what? I can almost promise you you're going to stay sober. Because you're taking the suggestions we're giving you. As long as they'll take suggestions. Correct. As long as they're willing to do what is suggested to them, they can stay sober. And is the moment they take their will back, I promise you, you're going to relapse. Yep. Without a doubt. And it don't take long. <laughs> no. So we know that there's families out there listening right now. Well, not right now because it's not out. But right now, is it's out. That is struggling with somebody in their family like Amy was. What can you say to them? There's help for you as, as well. Uh, Al-Anon, Celebrate Recovery. Alateen, that's another one. There are people who know exactly what you're feeling. It's just like walking into the walls, that are, you know, to the rooms of AA or Celebrate Recovery for the alcoholic and the addict because you're going to hear somebody else sharing your story. And what you're going to hear is you're going to hear those family members, those loved ones of those people who are struggling, who are still struggling, you know? Some of them are still struggling. And... You're going to hear their story and you're going to be like, that's me, that's me, that's me. And the next thing you know, that connection is built and you realize that you're not alone. You don't have to struggle through this alone. A lot of it to me with the mental health and the addiction side is ignorance. You know, people just don't know about it or people don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. It's that it's that pink elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. Hey, can we put this little rug over this big elephant in the room? You know, and it doesn't work that way. And, and it, Addiction isn't a spectator sport. Eventually, the entire family gets to play. We like to think that we're only hurting ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. We're hurting everybody. Every relationship we have, we hinder in our addiction. And there is things like codependency, enabling, you know, distrust. How do you, how do you learn to cope with a loved one who's in active addiction? And that's where you can find it now and on. And Codependence Anonymous. Codependence Anonymous. Anonymous. Yep. Because um, Coda's a, another really good program. So we'll have to bring Amy on so that way. And yeah, yeah. Bring like Amy and Heather on and, and let them talk about how they um, dealt with us. Yeah. <laughs> After we do our interviews, we're going to come and interview the wives. Yeah, she's going to be like, that's yeah. how the story went. <laughs> this part two of our interviews <laughs> will be where our wives are on here. Hey, Steve, <laughs> anything before we close? I, that, you've answered a lot of yeah. questions. I mean, I'm. He's done well. I love your well. story. Yeah. Yeah. Derek, anything for Jeremy on the way out? Jeremy, I love working with you, man. I you love know, I didn't. Too. This was a relationship I never seen coming. The first time I met you, I was working at another church, and you brought your kids up, and I worked with your kids at first. And I'm really glad. It's really good to hear your story. Buddy. I don't think really you had teeth at the time, did you? I was missing one. <laughs> yes, I was. Well, yeah. thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> we know who's going to be on the fourth. I got it <laughs> right. <laughs> I got it fixed just for the podcast. <laughs> 
No, I'm going to tell you, Jeremy, it has been an honor. It's been fun. We get to meet up for cigars. Um, we get to meet as couples. Brother, I couldn't imagine doing life without you, man. Yeah. I love you. I'm proud of you. Mm. And it's been fun. Thanks. And we got a long way to go still. It's a long way. <laughs> I'm glad we get to walk it out with you, brother. Thank you. I walk appreciate you guys being here. Any closing from you, Jeremy? Yeah, again, you know, um, don't 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 give up hope. Don't give up hope. Um, there is there's help for you. There's a God who loves you. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing in your past that you've done that can't be forgiven. And yeah. and he just he, he's welcomed you with opening with open arms. Um, and and there is there is a peace and and a love that you've never experienced before. And so if you have questions about that, man, shoot us a question. You know, find your nearest church. Just go and just learn. What do you get in contact with us at? Info at awakensober.org. Wow, look at that. He got yeah, it. He got it. <laughs> he got it. <laughs> he got it. Yes. Yeah, shoot us a question. Now, you know, make sure you hit like, right? Like us on the podcast. Like and share. Subscribe. Like, share, share subscribe, subscribe, all that. Yeah. We'd love for people to leave comments on there so that way it could grow as well. It's one way that it gets sent around to different places. Yeah, if you just, if this, uh, if Jeremy's little interview here, reach out and touch you in any kind of way, please reach out. Give us the questions. We want to hear from you. And then thanks again for joining us. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Steve, it was good to, I guess, kind of see you yeah, I get, on the podcast. Get in front of the camera for a change. And and the camera didn't break. No, I didn't. I'm and we're going to call upon everybody to put in a vote what you thought about Steve being on the podcast. <laughs> been nice. Would you add that like after? Keep it, I, keeping me over yeah. here. <laughs> nah, man, we love you guys. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next week. God bless, and have a good one. God bless Ooh. Psalms sixty eight nineteen. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Mm. Oh, that's not one. it. That's wrong. not it. Oh, shug it. Okay, we got to redo the whole. Yeah, yeah. Here's what I got for you. <laughs> All right, everybody, have a great night, man. We're so glad you guys joined us once again. Every podcast platform we're out there, like, share, subscribe. Peace. See ya. <laughs>